everybody, Dr. Mike Reed uh, from Chiropractic Masters International. I want to welcome everyone to this Master Talk. I have got uh, with me Dr. Jill Marsh, who's not only a successful chiropractor, speaker, author, and university executive, but he's had years of experience. He's going to join us on this Master Talk to talk about uh, Thrive, Engineered for Success. And I've asked him to really go through some of the secrets that he's discovered that allows has allowed many of the doctors to uh, be successful in practice. So, Jill, uh, thank you for joining me on this Master Talk. My pleasure, Dr. Mike. Always a pleasure to hang out with you and uh, to help our listeners, really. I mean, every morning I get up and I make a conscious decision and a conscious pledge of how I'm going to show up and show up like ready for game time. You know, we should have game time all the time. And when we talk chiropractic, it's game time for me all the time. So always happy to accept your invitation to show up on Master Talk. Thanks, Jill. And you know, uh, many of the, the doctors on this call um, know you. You're one of the, I would suggest, one of the, the top leaders in our profession. And I'm honored to know you and have you as a friend. Let's just talk a little bit about your past. How did you go from, you know, uh, the chiropractor in Timmins, Ontario, to being executive at, at Life? And then where's your vision now? Where, where do you see yourself ta helping take this profession? Well, I mean, I had a very successful practice, as you know, for, for 25 years. I was very fortunate to have uh, Jim Parker as my personal mentor starting in my third year of chiropractic college. So I met Jim in 1977, went on to graduate CMC in 1979. And I am not one that fits, I think, the, the model of, you know, you have to fail for X amount of time before you become successful. I followed the model that was taught to me. I listened to a mentor and I did exactly what he told me to do. And so I started my practice in July of uh, 1979. And, you know, by Christmas, I was seeing over 500 people a week. And I just continued to build that practice to, you know, 750, 800. And then I did that, you know, for 25 years. I did it first five years in the little town of Hearst, Ontario, 5,000 people. And then I came to Timmins and I just replicated the exact same model that Jim had taught me. And, and the number one model I would tell you is really about being passionate and knowledgeable about our craft, about our profession, and, and focusing on developing our art, understanding our science, and living our philosophy. So three different verbs, right? Developing the art and mastering the art, understanding the science, and then actually living the chiropractic philosophy. So from my perspective, you know, the number one thing that actually helps chiropractors become successful is having a, a clear understanding of the principles and a clear understanding of the philosophy. And so I had 25 years of successful practice. As you remember, I got uh, seriously ill back in 2003. I left practice in 2004, expecting to transition in probably the next 12 months. Um, probably not a lot of time to tell the story here, but I had primary pulmonary hypertension, and anybody can look that up. But uh, post-diagnosis, the average lifespan post-diagnosis is about 24 months. So I went home because the only thing they'd offer me was a double lung and heart transplant. I chose to not, I chose to not go down that route and I made a conscious decision that I would transition. By the time I left practice on the 14th of April in 2004, I mean, I could not breathe unless I was pumping my body full of Ventolin. And I had lived a chiropractic lifestyle since the age of 12. So there I was after, you know, 36 years of living a chiropractic lifestyle. Um, becoming a chiropractic heretic and actually filling my body with Ventolin because that was the only thing that allowed me to breathe. I, wow. I really believed I tried everything else. And 31 days later on the 15th of May, I woke up and the first thought in my head was like, you're an idiot. 
you know, you've appreciated this chiropractic paradigm of health and healing from above, down, inside out. Uh, the fact that the body is self-developing, self-maintaining, self-healing. There's got to be something seriously wrong with your spine and nervous system. And the next thought that came into me was, yeah, but you get checked by a chiropractor every week or two. How could there be something wrong with your spine and nervous system? And it's the third thought that really kicked me in the butt. Because the third thought was, yeah, but never by the same chiropractor. I realized that nobody in my town had a chart on me. I had never made an appointment for years to go to the chiropractor. I hadn't had a spinal x-ray, a nerve scan. I hadn't had a complete chiropractic exam in 15 to 20 years. And all that noise came into my head. And when the noise died down, I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm not going to transition. I reached over the phone, grabbed the phone, called my former assistant, made an appointment at my former practice, went in to get a full chiropractic evaluation to discover that my spine looked absolutely fantastic, except from C7 to T4. Uh-huh. And those listening, understanding, you know, physiology and neurology know that what feeds the heart and lungs is T1 to T4. I started getting adjusted daily. By the end of August, my pulmonary pressure that had been measured at 57 and it continuously kept creeping up. By the end of August, it had dropped to 27. Wow. Um, I had cardiomegaly because the body has this innate ability to adapt. So when I had the pulmonary hypertension, that increased pressure from my lungs down into my right ventricle, uh, my body adapted, and it adapted by doing what? By increasing the size of the cardiac muscle. So I had cardiomegaly measured at 2.5. Within two years after I started regular care and became a true practice member in a practice, rather than just a chiropractic patient, someone who you know, got checked haphazardly, I would say, uh, you know, and I would have never allowed my practice members to follow that type of care. I just never thought about my own. I, you know, I could be having lunch with you or dinner with you and say, hey, would you check me? And I would check you. I'd go to your office, you'd come to my office. And that's the type of care that I received. So anyway, within two years of starting real chiropractic care, uh, which I started, like I said, on the, well, I started my first adjustment the, the 16th of May in 2004 with uh, those chiropractors. Um, I went on to improve, and I ended up moving from Timmins, so continued regular care, and within two years, my cardiomegaly was gone. So my body readapted to not having the stress, and therefore this heart that had expanded two and a half times the normal size had caused my chest to be all barreled and couldn't adapt anymore because there's just more, no more room in it. My chest actually shrunk back down to normal. And so today, you know, I'm uh, going to be 63 years old. It's, so it's almost 15 years ago that initially diagnosed with this, 14 plus years. Uh, last year, uh, I live in Atlanta now, and there's a Kennesaw series of 5K races. There's six of them per season, starting in April, ending in October. Last year, I ran every 5K race, and at least four of the races, I placed in the top three in my age category. And I've got plastic deformity at T2, so I subluxate there, you know, relatively easy. So going in back into practice was not really an option. So having been a regular speaker at Parker Seminars for 30 plus years, I was asked to go help them rebuild it back in 2006. Um, I thought I would be able to take the warmth of Dallas. And so I promised three years as a volunteer, went there as a volunteer, loved it. Uh, decided to stay for a year, and as you all well know, I stayed there for six years. I left there in the summer of 2012 and retired for my second retirement. And then 
about eight or nine months later, Dr. Guy Reekman, who was the current president of Life University at the time, reached out to me and said, I just want you on my team. So I ended up meeting with him, ended up coming to visit Life University, and I was blown away. Uh, for our listeners, if you've never been on the campus of Life University, if you come anywhere near Atlanta, you've got to come and visit. There is nothing like it in the chiropractic profession. It's 106 beautiful acres of rolling hills and a stream running down the middle and beautiful trees. And so I, uh, you know, I loved the look of the campus. I got to meet and spend some time with the people I'd be working with. And I was like, wow, these people understand the paradigm that I live. I always learned to live from a space of loving service, my first technique, which I learned from my mentor and the founder of Life University, Dr. Sid Williams, used a similar principle, just used different words. But what most people don't know is that his original mentor was actually Dr. Jim Parker. So Dr. Jim Parker mentored Dr. Sid Williams. So Sid came out with lasting purpose to give, do, love, serve from a sense of abundance with no expectation of return. And I saw that as just two philosophies that were congruent with each other that were pretty much identical with different words. So doubling or going right around that circle of what is it that makes someone successful? And as I started to say, it's the philosophy. You know, to our listeners, how willing are you? How willing are you to tell the truth? How willing are you to live by BJ's statement, you know, I will sell chiropractic, I will serve chiropractic, and I will save chiropractic if it will take me 20 lifetimes to do it. BJ went on to say, I'll promote it within the law, I'll promote it without the law, in keeping with the law or against the law, in order to get sick people well and keep the well from getting sick. So when we look at that, when we read that, if you read, you know, what's in the green books behind me, when you read these principles, how willing are you to live them fully? Because if you don't live the chiropractic philosophy fully yourself, you're, you're not in a, a full example of what that could be. So, so you could say, well, Jill, you just told me you weren't living it fully. I thought I was living it fully. I was teaching it fully. I was getting checked every week or two. And what I understood is that the care that I was re receiving to no fault of the chiropractor that was checking and adjusting me, the chiropractors rather, through no fault of them, because they were all great chiropractors, the care that I was receiving was substandard. Right. So I thought I was living the philosophy fully. So I certainly live all the other aspects of chiropractic philosophy. But when we think of um, that statement that I just recited from BJ, you know, how willing are you to live that way? And I can tell you that I was willing when I started as a chiropractor back in 1979. And I remain willing today. I mean, it's, it's what I live. And so I, got, I get to live this absolutely amazing life in every which way that I can actually imagine. You know, chiropractic has been fantastic to me, um, both from a health perspective. Obviously, I'm alive today because of it. Certainly for, for my family, my children, uh, financially. You know, you get to live a financially independent life when you live it and you teach it and you own it. So that's... That's the space that I believe we, we start. And for anybody who's not fully leaving, fully living, rather, the chiropractic paradigm, the chiropractic philosophy, I would urge you to look at your philosophy. Like, what is your philosophy, philosophy rather, related to health and chiropractic? And then look, what's the philosophy of those who surround you? And if it's different than yours, than what we would expect yours to be as a chiropractor, the question I often ask is, what can you do about it? 
And the next question is, why should you do anything? So my answer to that is, you know, what can I do about it? Well, you got to teach chiropractic. You got to teach the philosophy to people. You got to find a way that you can teach it so people understand it. And why should you do anything about it? I'm alive today because of chiropractic. My um, 32-year-old son, Christopher, after being blinded by fireworks, you know that story as well, when he was 14, has 20-20 vision in both eyes today because of chiropractic. My grandson that was born on the 12th of August, 2016, who was supposed to survive three days or less, and who I had the honor and the privilege to lay my hands on every couple hours for a number of days, is alive today because of chiropractic. That's why you've got to do something. Chiropractic is big. And what astounds me is how many chiropractors don't yet see that. So I get up in the morning, every morning I get up with my goal is, who can I help see chiropractic in its bigness today that maybe until today hadn't seen it or hadn't experienced it? Who can I chat with that could potentially, because I'm chatting with you now, could actually decide to shift their belief system, go and learn and discover what's big about this big idea. What is the big idea altogether? And I would tell you that, they can find the answer in the 33 principles. And there's a number of principles I used to teach my practice members. I didn't teach them all 33. I didn't see that they needed to understand all 33. But the ones that I did teach them were 18, 20, 21, 28, 29, and 30. And I will recite them for you because I've taught them so many times that I own them. And I mean, I mean, I may be paraphrasing. They may not be exactly the way Stevenson wrote it, but I'll paraphrase them for you. And, and number 18 is that the signs of life are evidence of an intelligence of life. I thought it was important for my people to understand that. So the fact that you're alive is a sign that there's an intelligence. Do you believe that? They go, well, yes, yeah, something's making my body work, right? Something is causing me to breathe. I say, exactly. And so the 18th principle of chiropractic is exactly that. Is that the sign and the fact that you're alive is evidence that there's an intelligence. And then I say, and as we move on and describe more of the principles, a living thing like you has what we refer to as an inborn intelligence. It's inside of you. And in chiropractic, we call that innate intelligence. It's inborn. From above, down allows your body to function the way it's meant to function. And then I go to principle number 21, and the mission of that innate intelligence is to maintain the material of this body in organization. So I can live an active, so you can live an active, an, excuse me, an active life. And then the next principle I talk about is um, principle number 28. And that one is, it's the forces of that innate intelligence operates through your nervous system. And so in every room in my office, I had a framed autonomic nervous system chart and peripheral nervous system chart. So as I spoke to them, whether it was one-on-one -on -one or whether it was in a group setting when I was teaching these principles, I would say what we know to be true is that your innate intelligence operates through your nervous system. And then I would use whatever example they'd come into the office for. I'd say, for example, Mike, you know, you came in, you're complaining of low back pain, it's going down your leg, you know, X, Y, Z, you're fine, X, Y, Z in the United States, X, Y, Z if you're in Canada. 
Um, you know, this is what's going on. And then I would actually trace it to them. I'd say, so if any intelligence is governed through your, through your nervous system, can we agree that this intelligence probably functions from your brain, from your master computer? They would say yes. I said, well, let's look at how it gets from the brain to the rest of your body, particularly in your case. Look at how the, how the information goes from your brain, down your spinal cord, exit these nerves in the lower part of your back, and look at this nerve, it goes all the way down your leg. And if there's interference with that nervous system, we know that could be an issue. And that's principle number 29, because interference to the transmission of that nervous system energy is what we in chiropractic call a subluxation. The good news is that principle number 30 shows us and tells us that interference with the transmission of that innate force causes incoordination inside your body that will lead to dysfunction or some type of disease. And chiropractors know exactly what to do to detect that subluxation, analyze its position, and then correct it. And so that's the piece that for me, I believe anyway, was that magic bullet. The magic bullet of getting people to understand the 33 principles. And so when I speak to chiropractors often, I'll ask them, you know, when was the last time you read the 33 principles? I'll say, put your hands up if it's been the last five years. And then I go, how about if you've read in the last one year? And then boom, a bunch of hands go down. And I said, how about if you've read in the last month, the last week? How about if, did you read it today or yesterday, in the last 24 hours? And it's amazing because you'll get, depends on the audience, but on average, you'll get about half the audience who have read them at least in the past five years. In the last one year, that number is going to drop by probably anywhere from 60 to 80%. And so you may get anywhere from you know, 20 to 25, 30% of the people in the room who have read the principles in the past year. Then you go to a month, oh my gosh, 5% at best probably. Then you go to the last 24 hours. In a crowd of 500 people, I mean, even if you're talking to principled chiropractors, in a crowd of 500 people, you'd be lucky to have 10 people that have read at least one principle in the last 24 hours. Right. And we wonder why don't people get it? If you don't get it, they don't get it. So if we don't own the philosophy, if we don't live the philosophy, how can we expect other people to live the philosophy? It's next to impossible, isn't it? So, you know, Jill, I would agree with you 100% that those doctors who are fully immersed in the principle um, and, you know, the philosophy and are congruent have the most successful practices. So what advice would you give the doctors who are listening to this that are, are sort of chasing the next silver shiny thing and, and they're looking at the next modality and they're, they're stuck in that insurance pain-based model because it's, it seems to be that, that when not, we look at the profession, there's no more middle class. Guys are either struggling or they're doing really well. And there is that distinction. I've seen that. What advice would you give uh, our listeners to really make that breakthrough, to go to the next level um, and to get out let of move, let, model? Let me move my camera for a second. I'll leave it there just for a second. But that's just part of my green book collection. I own every single green book. I'm not going to tell you that I've read every single one from cover to cover. I've read in every one of them. So I have some here. I have some in the library in our living room. I have some in my library at my office, which is why I don't have my full collection behind me. But what I, what I um, convinced myself of importance, based on what my mentor, Dr. Jim Parker, taught me. And by the way, 
right there in that, that frame right there are the Parker principles. You can tell it's an old frame. There's a reason why it's an old frame and I didn't buy a new one. It's the original frame that I put the Parker principles in because I read those principles every single day while I was in practice. And so my suggestion on the green books is number one, get familiar with the 33 principles. You don't even need to buy a green book. Literally go to this thing called Miss Google and Google the 33 chiropractic principles. They're available on a PDF, print it up, put it wherever you'll see it. Put it in your bathroom, put it where you'll sit on the toilet if you want, but read them every day until, until you start to own them. I do not read all 33 principles every day. Um, I mean, I haven't practiced since 2004. Um, I didn't read the 33 principles every day while I was in practice, but I always read the ones I told you about just now, right? I read 19, I read 20, I read 21, I read 28, I read 20. I mean, I read those because I taught them. And so when you start to own them, people feel it. Yeah. They feel your passion and you don't need to throw up all over them. I mean, yeah. I took you through very simply, you know, paraphrasing them along the way, but those are the concepts that I taught my practice members. And when they get it, they get it, but you have to get it first. I agree. So spending ritualistically spending 10 to 15 minutes reading the principles until you own them and then spending 10 or 15 minutes at least, you know, at the beginning, every single day, seven days a week, reading something in the green book. Um, I have a couple of favorite ones. My favorite of all time is still the bigness of the fellow within. Okay. Um, the favorite portion of that book is still the opening story, the story of that something. So listeners, if you have not read the story of that something ever, or if you haven't read it in the past five years or even one year, please, again, you could Google that. Google the story of that something, the bigness of the fellow within. It'll pop up. You can just print it up if you want. I would then urge all of you to actually buy the book. And that's and a read great that book. That's a great story, especially the doctors that might find themselves in a rut and, and what it takes to find that that something and really just go to the next level. That's an all-time favorite. You know, Jill, it's it's interesting. And I'm I'm sure that for the doctors that are salivating, I was at Chirofest and Paul Reed was raffling off the Green Book Library. I thought that was so cool. And, you know, they can get the Green Books at Life uh, Library, correct? Uh, oh, they're, they're definitely in our library. We have yeah. a few different series in the library. You can always order them through our uh, Life U shop as well. And you can order them through Palmer. You can order them through Parker. You can order them through Life West. I mean, wh wherever you want to be ordering from, those books are available. And I believe the uh, Delta Sigma Chi fraternity actually owns the rights to them. So profits, those books typically go to that fraternity. Uh, if you know a member of the Delta Sigma Chi fraternity, they access them as well. Because I, I remember I bought some of mine at CMCC, a few is all they had. Uh, then over the years, I bought some going to Parker Seminars. And when I, um, I completed my, my collection, actually, I bought the remainder of my collection from a, a student that was a Delta Sigma Chi member. That's cool. So let's, let's, you know, suggest the doctor's um, philosophy, the principle, um, immersing yourself uh, in that foundation. And then I want you to talk about vision, Jill, what it takes to really connect the two dots and, and really to get out of that, that fear zone. Fear, I, I believe, is one of the major um, uh, causes that are preventing our doctors from really knowing their full potential. So if I were to say to you, Jill, what would you say to, to the listeners 
to really break through um, that, that sort of ceiling that's really capping their potential? What would you suggest? My number one is always, do you have a clearly defined purpose for your life? And do you have a clearly defined purpose for your practice? And that's another one. If you ask an audience and you ask them to be honest and you know, engage with you, majority of them don't even have a written purpose statement. And those that do have a written one, most of them can't even recite it. Right. And that was, again, something else I learned from my mentor. And, and I continued to, to study this power of purpose. And my foundational purpose statement, what I created, uh, I use often the analogy of the Pantheon, this beautiful old building you know, in the center of Rome that has been there since I can't remember how long, but it's, it's solid. You know, it's got these great pillars. And I say, my foundational purpose statement is like the foundation of that building. And once you have a really, really strong foundation, then you can build these pillars because they have something to actually sit on. Otherwise, you can go around Rome and see all the areas where foundations weren't strong, where the pillars actually fell over. And, you know, they, they dug out these sites and they're all over the place. But the Pantheon's been there for like 12 or 1400 years or, or more. And it's strong. I mean, it stands strong and solid. So the foundational, my foundational purpose statement is very simple. I pledge my life to my greatest expression of love and service for the benefit of humanity. And so everything I do has to fit on that. You know, getting on this interview with you today, it fits on that. If it didn't fit on that, I would have, you know, refused the invitation. It's pretty simple. Because I know that coming here, I pledge my life to my greatest expression of love and service. This is service. I mean, I love chiropractic. I love chiropractors. I love all chiropractors. I love the fact that you're willing to be in the profession. I love the fact that you're willing to be steadfast, that you're willing to be committed. And I know that's not all of you, which is why I'm always willing to get on a webinar, a call, a Zoom, or whatever, any platform to actually talk about that. So my position is always, do you have a clearly defined purpose statement? If not, why not? The why not answer is usually, I didn't know it was important. I don't know how to create one. I had one once, but it didn't really speak to me. And so I help people actually discover that. So as I continue to study the importance of having a purpose statement, I, you know, I had other mentors in my life. Some of them were face-to-face -face mentors. Some of them were based on, on books, tapes, CDs I listened to. So I continued my learning because I believe that every successful chiropractor, entrepreneur, business person, whatever you want to be, um, chooses to be a continuous learner. So I, choose to, I chose to be a continuous learner, and I choose again today to be a continuous learner. So I'm continuously reading something that will help me become better. Um, one book that I look at pretty much every day, if people haven't read this, is you know, the Maxwell Daily Reader. It's phenomenal. It's got you know, 365 days. Uh, today's point was, um, or yesterday's was, it's a mindset, and the next today's was plan neglect, and tomorrow's assisting others. And it was all sorts of great areas in there. But if we think of purpose, um, one gentleman that became a great mentor for me was, I apologize if you can hear that, my phone is ringing anyway, and I thought I shut it off. No worries. There we go. Sorry about that. One of your mentors. I did, I did tell you I was shutting it off. So one of my mentors um, was Wayne Dyer. And I had, you know, the fortune of meeting Wayne a number of times and being able to have a great conversation with him. And one of his mentors was an ancient, ancient philosopher by the name of Patanjali. 
and Patanjali was asked at one point, you know, why is having a purpose for your life so important to living an exceptional life? You say, well, you know, and Wayne said, I got asked that as well. He said, so I did my training through my mentor, Patanjali, and I discovered something that was really, really good. And he said, when Patanjali was asked that, Patanjali went on to say, because purpose inspires you. And when you're inspired by some grand purpose, he said, your mind, okay, hang on a sec. Your, your thoughts transcend their bonds. Your mind transcends limitations. Your consciousness expands in every direction. And you discover um, these dormant, or rather he said dormant forces, faculties and talents come alive. And you discover yourself to be a greater person by far than you ever dreamt possible. So let's back up on that. He said, when you're inspired by some great purpose, your thoughts transcend their bonds. Your mind transcends limitations. So think about it, everyone listening in. How many times have you been held in bondage by a thought? All of us. But what I discovered is that when I'm living my purpose, my thoughts truly transcend their bonds. My thoughts, the negative thoughts that show up, they go away so quickly. I'm able to replace them with better thoughts. So my thoughts transcend their bonds. Your mind transcends limitations. I mean, how many of you ever, I'm not good enough, not tall enough, not good looking enough, whatever, not smart enough. Everybody's thought that at some point, but when you have a clearly defined purpose that you own, those things disappear. And then he says, these dormant forces, faculties, and talents come alive. Think about that. Dormant forces, faculties, and talents come alive. You have forces. You have talents that are inside of you right now that are actually asleep. If you discover your purpose, those dormant forces, faculties, and talents will come alive. And you will discover that you're a greater person by far than you ever dreamt imaginable. So to answer your question, purpose. You know, how do you find your purpose is the next question. Not an easy thing to do, but I'll tell you, I've gotten on the phone with people in the past few weeks. I did it with at least two people and asked them just a few questions. Like, what are you passionate about? What are some of the words you use in your vocabulary on a regular basis? Um, what are your talents? If you don't identify your own talents, what do other people identify in you as talents? And I get them to list four or five qualities, four or five adjectives that they love, four or five of their talents, and I actually make a statement with that. And they go, oh my gosh, that is so me. Well, of course it's you. I got the words from you. So it's important that an individual takes the time to pay attention, not from an egotistical perspective. Look at who you are. Look at the talents that you have. Look at the qualities that you have. If you can't list 20 of them, then ask the people that love you. You know, what do they see as your talents? What do they see as your qualities? And you'll be amazed. And when you choose to start living those, you get to live your purpose. And when you live your purpose, you get to create an exceptional life. And when those dormant forces and faculties truly come alive, it's like you prepare yourself to receive all of this from the universe. Right? So if we understand that there's an innate intelligence within us and that we're created in the image of whatever you want to call it. I call it God, universal intelligence, no matter what it is you want to call it. If we're creating that image, why don't we, why don't we choose to live 
those qualities and talents like full out. Play the game full out every single day. Fear. So, you know, you've heard the acronym of fear, false evidence appearing real. I've chosen a different acronym for fear. Same word. My acronym is face everything and rise. We will be challenged. And if you don't get, to, if you don't have a challenge by noon tomorrow morning, hurry up and create one. Because that's what's going to make you a better person. Challenge yourself and accept the challenges, but have a method by which you can tap in to your best resources, which is you, by the way. And if you're challenged and you can't find the resource inside of you, then be willing to ask a mentor, be willing to ask a friend, ask for help. That was something else I discovered. I discovered that from Mark Victor Hansen. I used to think that asking for help was a sign of weakness. Mark made me understand that asking for help is actually a sign of strength. It's a sign of strength because you know what you're good at, you know what you know, and you acknowledge what you don't know, so you go to find it. You can do it through a book, you can do it through an individual, you can do it through finding something online. But, I mean, Mark helped me through my younger years, and as a matter of fact, four or five weeks ago or something like that, he called me because he needed help on something. And he needed to be connected with someone because of a project that he was working on, and he didn't know that particular person. He said, I thought of you, and I thought, you probably know that person. I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do know that person. And I connected him. I mean, he's a big shot. You know, he's worth millions of dollars. Hey, he knew who to call for that particular question. I hadn't talked to him in a few years, but he reached out. So I, I urge you to see any challenge that you have as a potential for learning. You know, you'll either see every challenge as a pitfall or you'll see every challenge as an opportunity. Right. My mentor taught me to see every challenge as an opportunity. And when you see every challenge as an opportunity, you grow and you develop the skills or you tap into the dormant talents that were already there that you didn't even know were there. Tony Robbins used to say that. He says, you don't have problems. You only have challenges disguised as opportunities. And I love that. Oh, that's true. I've heard him say that before. That's a, I think that's not, that's verbatim. That's a good quote there, right there, Mike. Fantastic. Jill, you know, another talk that has just a ton of gems. That's why I love you and I love who you are and what you do. If the doctors want to get hold of you, I know you also run a mastermind. Um, how can they reach out to you or contact you, Joe? Um, my email address at life is my first name, period, my last name. So it's G-I-L-L-E-S, period, Lamarche, L-A-M-A-R-C-H-E, at uh, life.edu. I'm usually pretty good at answering. I try to answer all my emails within a 24-hour time period. Um, I tell you that the first time you send me an email, please do not put an attachment on it. There's a very thick filter at life, so it may end up in spam. Just make it a short message. Say, you know, I have a question for you. Can I, can I ask you this question? Or go ahead and ask the question if it's just, you know, in the body of an email. That's pretty easy. Um, I do my best to support everybody in the profession as best as I can. Obviously, I'll be speaking at the Great Prosperity Summit 2017 in Virginia. And I've had the opportunity to speak at your summit a couple of times in the past past decade or so, uh, I news across the U.S. into into Canada, obviously as well. Uh, we're going to be in Italy at uh, Light Vision Roma Seminar, November seventeenth and eighteenth this year. Uh, we'll be at HDF Seminar the weekend before. I'll be in Virginia, I think, two weekends before that. I'll be in anyway somewhere else. So you know, ca catch me on the run or. Yeah, the other website you can go to is thebignessofchiropractic.com. And at The Bigness of Chiropractic, there's the talk that I did about my grandson, Huntley, uh, at CalGem in 2017. 
so you can get you can download that video and, and watch it it's quite inspiring I would tell you that it was probably the best talk I ever delivered I, I did get a little bit emotional through it but I um, I ended the talk with my daughter and my grandson on stage with me so I made it really real for the audience of 2,000 plus people um, there's also a whiteboard video that describes chiropractic that you can get for free I'm well I do all sorts of things for the chiropractic profession for free I there's no strings attached to the stuff that I do I love chiropractic I would love all chiropractics to thrive I I'm selfish a little bit on it I want my great 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 grandkids to have awesome freaking chiropractors to take care of them and if I don't help you become a great chiropractor so you can help somebody else become a great chiropractor that's a problem for me so the fair exchange that exists in my life is that if I help you that you're willing to do something to help somebody else I've had tons of people say oh my gosh I owe you so much I said you owe me nothing you owe me if you're gonna owe me anything owe me to be the best version of you do whatever it takes to be the best version of you and then help somebody else become the best version of themselves and if you do that we we hold hands we collectively become strong and as you individually become strong and you hold hands with somebody else, we build a, a collective society of strong chiropractors that understand that it's imperative that we each be diligent in teaching the principle, right? Schopenhauer said, every great truth goes through four, um, three phases. He says, first it's ridiculed, then violently opposed, Lastly, to be recognized as self-evident. As a chiropractor, I know the truth of chiropractic is self-evident. But I know there's a lot of people, even maybe you know, down the street from Life University, down the street from my neighborhood, from my home where I'm at now, that I've had an opportunity to interact with that probably ridicule chiropractic. That's possible. It happens all over the place. But if we stay steadfast and we recognize that history has proven, and it's proven it over and over and over again, that once a truth is recognized, there's no turning back from it. Yeah. You can't turn back from the truth of chiropractic. It's a truth. Jill's alive because of it. Huntley's alive because of it. Christopher can see because of it. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people that I saw in my practice, that you, Dr. Mike, saw in your practice, are alive because of chiropractic. What the heck? What else do we have to tell people? Now, what does it take? We must persist. We must persist in our efforts to tell the story. We must persist in our efforts to understand the principles. So you must persist in there wherever and whenever it's possible. That's where I believe we must be. And it's not about throwing up chiropractic all over anybody in a bar or anywhere else. It's about being willing to engage in a conversation and finding a way that you have and if anybody asks me what I do for a living, um, you know, I ask them questions. Or if they know I'm a doctor and they ask me what kind of doctor I am, I ask them questions. So my typical, and I'll give you the story about getting into the back of a cab at the Toronto Airport when I was the president of the licensing board in Ontario. You know, I would have a cab waiting for me when I got off the plane because I would rush to a meeting and have to rush back. So I get into the back of this car and, and the gentleman says to me, oh, so Dr. LaMarche, what kind of doctor are you? So by the way, if you are making reservations at a restaurant or you're making appointments anywhere and you're not saying you're Dr. So-and-so, please change that. 
Yeah, All my reservations by my team are always done by doctors so-and-so. The reason being that the number one question they will ask you if they ask you anything is, what kind of doctor are you? The minute they ask you what kind of doctor are you, they're inviting you into their world. They're inviting you to share some information. So this gentleman says, what kind of doctor are you? I sent him a chiropractor. He said, oh, chiropractor, I've heard of you guys. I don't really know what you do. He is a gentleman of Indian descent, had moved to Toronto about five years previous. So I asked him the questions. I said, and this is my number one question. I've asked this thousands of times. If you think back to high school science class, what do you remember your teacher telling you is the most important system in the human body? And if we were playing Family Feud today, I would tell you that the number one answer to that question would be the heart. Not the cardiovascular system. The number one answer I received is the heart. But because I've asked the way I asked the question, I don't make them wrong. Because I said, what do you remember? He said, the heart. I said, you're right. That's probably what your teacher taught you. Right now, I validated him. Now he's even more open to actually listening to my conversation. And I say, can I ask you a few more questions? And then I'll do a question either based on fitness or on sleep. In this case, I asked him both questions. He looked relatively fit. I said, you know, do you ever exercise? He said, yeah, I exercise like three, four days a week. I said, do you ever notice when you exercise, your heart starts to beat faster, your lungs start to breathe quicker, you start to sweat, and you get these changes happening in your body? He said, yeah. I said, what tells your body to do that? He was like, hmm, I don't know. I said, I'm going to assume you went to sleep last night, and you woke up, and your heart was still beating. What told your body to do that? He said, I don't know. I said, so what's in here? He said, my brain. I said, and what does your brain control? He says, everything. And if that was a question on Family Feud, that would be the number one answer too. So think about it. They think it's the heart. In 36, 30 to 60 seconds, I move him from the heart to the brain and him telling me that the brain controls everything. I said, would you like me to explain? Oh, then my next question, how does the brain get all that information to the rest of your body? And depending on what they tell me, you know, some will say, well, down my spinal cord, I think, or whatever it is. Then I describe chiropractic in its basis. So the story here is he went on to tell me that his wife was under a 24-hour watch whenever he left home. His mother-in-law would come in because she told him she was going to commit suicide. She'd start with neck pain, headaches, pain down her arm, had lost the, fun lost the function of her hand, couldn't do anything. The pain was so severe that she wanted to kill herself. She'd been to all the doctors, neurologists. They all told her they couldn't do anything. You think I should send my wife to a chiropractor it was his question. I got his email address, got into the office, sent him the name of a couple of chiropractors in Mississauga where he lived. And this is the, the beautiful piece of this story. Six or eight weeks later, I got a very short email. Dr. Lomarge, thank you for saving my wife's life. I get shivers no, still today, Mike. There they will save the lives of millions tomorrow, right? Just by being willing to tell the story in a way that's not offensive. Yeah. Right? There's nothing offensive. He asked me what kind of doctor I was. I told him I was a chiropractor. Then he asked, then I asked him a couple of questions. We got into a five, 10 minute conversation. And because of it, he took his wife to a chiropractor. And I'm going to assume, because I've never heard from him since, that is why this wife is still alive today. How did that change that family? Bam, right? How did that change that family? Serve, sell, and save chiropractic. Good on you, Joe. How cool is that? And you know, it, it's funny because these stories are inspirational. I know the doctors listening to this are going to think, I need to, I need to up my game. I need to raise my standards. So uh, I want to thank you, Joe, for, for sharing tonight um, on this master talk. I'm really excited to have you at Prosperity because I know you're going to 
really help elevate the audience there. Uh, ProsperitySummit.net for the doctors who haven't signed up yet for Prosperity. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for being uh, a leader in this profession, for doing it without fear, for always standing up for the principle, and, and for you know putting your neck out there and, and doing what you do, uh, Jill, because you are well-loved, you're well-thought-of, you're well-respected. Thank you. And you know, I just I thank God every day that we have people like you in this profession that are the, the, the tip of the spear. Thank you. And I, I tell people all the time, you know, the, the challenge of becoming a leader is that once you become a leader, you put this huge target on your back yeah, yeah, yeah. and you put an even bigger one on your heart. All you need to do is put a little shield there. And right. the, shield, the shield that I put is, is staying bathed in the principle and understanding that that is a truth. It's, it's not just Jill's idea. It's not just a belief system. It's actually a truth. And that truth to me shields me from everything else. You know, I don't want to use the words that just popped in the mind, but I don't give up what somebody might think, I know that this is the truth. I know that BJ was willing to stand for it. I know that he was willing to serve for it. I know that he was willing to do whatever it took to, excuse me, to save chiropractic. And I'm willing to do the same thing. So, but because I'm an executive at a unit institution, I don't do it against the law. I do it in keeping with the law because I think you could always do it in keeping with the law, even though, you know, the, the quote that I read a while ago or, or stated rather uh, repeated a while ago, which I think was close to his quote, but paraphrased. Um, you know, he said, within the law, without the law, against the law, I don't do anything against the law. I do it with the law. I do it within the law. And it's doable in that perspective. Sure, of course. It is. So I'm happy to do it. I'm, I'm blessed to be a chiropractor. You know, I get DD beside me in this beautiful bus that I, <coughs> excuse me, purchased as a Fundraiser for Life Chiropractic College West a few years ago. As I mentioned, I've got uh, a picture in the Park of Principals that sit beside me every single day when I'm here. Of course, I got pictures of my kids and my wife and stuff back there too. But you know, on this wall that you can't see, I've got a huge picture of BJ. I've got a huge picture of Dee Dee. And then in the middle, I have an artistic rendition that uh, Dr. Raymer Wagner painted of my mentor, Dr. Jim Parker. So I just hang out with these people. And to me, they continue to be my mentors. So they're part of my board of advisors in my own mind. So if you find yourself lacking a good board of advisors, just create your own board of advisors. Decide who you want on it. And if you've got a question for BJ, then just grab a green book and go ask the question. Find the answer. You know, I mean, the answers are there. The hours are there. So you don't necessarily have to ask a guy like me or a guy like Dr. Mike. I mean, create a board of advisors. And some of them may not be on this physical plane anymore. But somehow you will find the answers. You gotta be willing to ask the questions because the quality of the answer you receive is gonna be dependent on the quality of the question you're willing to ask. There's so, that's right. We gotta be humble, right? We gotta be humble. They're there in spirit. Jill, I wanna thank you once again for sharing your wealth of knowledge and your, your wisdom with the doctors on this call. I know you've, you've helped shift a lot of the mindsets out there. And, and really help um, move this profession forward. So thanks once again for, for being on this master talk and for being uh, who you are and what you do. So um, I just I just thought because because I'm if I can make one more quick thing. Yeah, awesome. I teach a course. I teach a course online. That I, I forgot to tell you about uh, that's called HCF Thrive. So if you Google HCF seminars hyphen Thrive, you should be able to find information on it. Um, it is the first year that we teach it tonight. When I get on. Uh, you know, this call, I'm going to be doing another one. Um, I'm going to be doing a live webinar with our Thrive students. It is a powerful program.
all your passion and techniques to it, discover your purpose, uh, discover and utilize sources within to build great relationships. It's a, an absolutely phenomenal online program uh, that we launched 14 weeks ago. We're in week 13 now. You won't be able to join it now, but we will likely launch a second program in the next four months, I believe. We'll be launching another one. So it's been a great experience to teach it that way online. I've taught one-on-one -on -one in the past, and I just got to the point where I was just too busy to do one-on-one -on -one work. And um, so if you're looking to really expand this and open this wide open, Thrive could be the resolution love or the name. solution rather for you. Love the name. Thanks once again, Jill, for sharing on this master talk and uh, for sharing with our listeners. I love and appreciate you. I appreciate it too, buddy. I look forward to seeing you in Virginia for Prosperity 2017. October 26th, 27th, uh, last week in Richmond, Virginia, prosperitysummit.net. Guys, you want to learn more, we'll see you there.